It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Thursday afternoon in Southern California and up and down the West Coast. We welcome you to our podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley in our studios in San Diego. And we welcome you with a ton of topics on the table, some really cool stuff going on in the world of sports, and some critical stories that we're going to talk about, too. John, good afternoon. Before we launch... I want you to tell everybody who is with us on our live stream on a week-by-week basis how they can subscribe, and then secondly, the things that we are presenting that we want them to pay attention to. Okay, well, thanks, Lee. Uh, yeah, you can uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we're on Apple Podcasts, all the platforms. Plus, also subscribe to YouTube and click on that little bell. You'll get the updates when we drop video segments throughout the week. Um, you can get involved in the fans forum uh, section. If, if you have a question or a comment for Hacksaw, just type it into the live chat on either Facebook or YouTube. We'll see it. We'll get you involved in the fans forum at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And by, by the way, just a note, instead of sending us 10 different questions, just pick one or two hot ones because <laughs> we're trying to give everybody the opportunity to get involved. And by the way, we just crashed through over 1,900 subscribers in only eight months on our podcast. Would you like to be 1901, 1902, 1903? We're trying to get this thing to 2,000 subscribers by July 4th. And by the way, if you like what we're doing, share with all your friends, text them, email them, tell them what we're doing And if you like sports, check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. And as long as you're taking notes, give us a thumbs up. And because John doesn't have any friends because he's out in left field a lot of time with his opinion. If you want to give us a rating, give us five stars. We'd appreciate it. John, let's start. We'll start with baseball. Wow. It was a big night at Petco Park. I mean, Fernando Tatis, it's like he's the old kid again. I'll tell you what. He was like the whirling derby. He was unbelievable. Uh, best best individual night at bat in the field and reaction from the fans that I think I've seen at Petco Park in a long time. I mean, he was a one-man gang. Home run, two doubles, two stolen bases, sliding catch in right field, and then he fakes the base runner out and throws a guy out at first base on a single to right field, and then he does the bows, he does the home run hop rounding third base. <laughs> that's great. I mean, it was just, it was a cool night. And the only thing I, that's missing, we either need the sombreros or we need the swag chains, or maybe we need them both back, because maybe that adds some chemistry uh, to the dugout. But what a phenomenal individual night. Batting averages up now to about 283, 14 bombs. He's got 10 stolen bases already. I think he's got 34 ribbies. He had exit velocity on one line drive, uh, I think it was 106 miles an hour. And he's just running the bases with reckless abandon. It just everything at this point has come together for him. It's cool. Can he stay healthy? We hope. Can he be the catalyst? to impact all the other guys. Soto is hitting. He's striking out some. He's getting a zillion walks. Machado in spurts is hitting. Uh, Jake Cronenworth has not returned to hit. The bottom of the batting order still off a week. But, man, Tatis did 
anything and everything. He checked off all the boxes you would want on the field, at the plate, in the dugout, and with the fans. It was cool. That's like a five-tool player all in one night. You Toolbox. Know? You know, but how about that, that – uh that throw to first, I mean, he had his shoulders squared like he was going to go to second, and then he threw across his body. I mean, what a deke. I mean, it was just a great move. But just love the athleticism from that kid. And, you know, he had a year off, and his timing wasn't there with his hitting. But, boy, it's all coming together now. Yeah, it really is. It's spectacular to see. We'll see if this if this explosion with him has actually helped them turn the corner. Now, Part of me says they're about to come together because they're getting really good frontline starting pitching. Mm-hmm. And Josh Hader's nailing everybody when he comes out of the pen. And now they're starting to hit. But the other part of me, John, and I don't mean to throw any cold water on you out in left field. The other part of me says, well, thank God you played Washington and thank God you played the Cleveland Guardians because here comes Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And then you got to go on the road and Frisco is playing really well. And I don't understand how that's possible. And the schedule gets a little bit tougher going forward. But for one night against Cleveland... El Nino landed at Petco Park, and that wasn't a weather forecast anywhere. Yeah, I mean, what a great game. Waka was terrific on yep. the mound. The pitching has been great. The starters, the bullpen, I think it's the top pitching staff in the, all of Major League Baseball since the beginning of May. The defense has been extraordinary. All they need to do is hit, and you know they've got the talent. So maybe it's finally coming. And Gary Sanchez, six home runs in 13 games. Now, this is the Gary Sanchez we first saw when he came up with the Yankees, but people figured him out. And then they then he stopped hitting home runs, and then he stopped hitting completely. I mean, I was shocked when the Yankees gave up on him, although they've, they've got a young catcher who's come up very fast and has done very well. But boy, Sanchez, he'll give you some pop. And he's throwing some guys out. Interesting stat in 13 games, he's thrown four guys out. The rest of the catchers on your Padre roster, <laughs> four for 46. That's incredible. I mean, I, I figured this guy was washed up. He had, when they signed him, I thought it was Robinson Cano kind of a signing again. You know, nice guy, you know, knows some of the players, but he's going to, he's just over the hill. But no, man, this guy surprised everybody. And boy, do we really need it at the catcher spot. Exactly. Okay, from that baseball story, let's go to a story on the East Coast, because this is kind of interesting. This story has not gotten a lot of national recognition yet, but somebody in New York stepped out of character. Yeah, this is interesting, too, because you get Boris involved, Steinbrenner. I mean, you got some of the heavy hitters here. What are they talking about here? Maybe redoing the salary cap? Okay, Hacksaw and John have talked extensively about a need for a floor, salary floor in baseball. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hal Steinbrenner, out of the clear blue sky on Wednesday night, said, I'd be in favor of a salary cap. What? Owner? Going public? I'm in favor of a floor to spending, too. I want a base. Mm. And he says... If you're taking my revenue sharing money out of New York Mm -hmm. and you're in Kansas City or you're in Oakland or you're in Detroit, the have-nots in baseball, I want a floor to spending. And he says the union will fight us, but all we need to do is look across the street at the NFL model Mm -hmm. and how their salary cap works for everybody because the salary cap... Limits people from going crazy, but it pays the stars. 
The salary cap includes the Florida spending in the NFL, where the Green Bays and the Cincinnati's have to spend close to the, the bottom figure. And the cap goes up every year because the cap is based on the revenue stream. So if baseball is exploding in terms of intake of revenue, that means the cap's going to go up. So what's the negative if it makes Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and Baltimore and Kansas City and maybe Oakland, Las Vegas, makes them more competitive because they're going to have to spend? And I'll guarantee you, Tony Clark and the union, they're going to fight this too. But Tony Clark needs to represent everybody. He needs to represent the Michael Walkers of the world who could get a better payday Mm -hmm. if all those small market teams who haven't been spending money, if they were forced to spend the revenue sharing money, Good players like a Michael Walker would wind up going to Kansas City or Baltimore. And you wouldn't have a Kansas City Royals team that's 18 and 51 or the A's are 19 and 51 at this point. So Hal Steinbrenner out of nowhere starts actually talking about a salary cap, which is it's kind of a mortal sin. And then he's challenging the union, put more money in the Michael Walker's pockets of the world and make these other teams better. And then Scott Boros comes out out of nowhere and he and Steinbrenner don't see eye to eye. And Scott Boros, who's got opinions on everything, of the opinion. And he only deals with mega players. Right. He doesn't deal with the Michael Walkers of the world. Says, Florida spending, got to do it three years in a row if you're going to take revenue sharing. So baseball needs to agree to talk about this in the offseason. But I think it's a solution because we've got the floors in every other sport and what does every other sport have? A lot of real competitive balance for the most mm-hmm. part. I, I grant you there are a few garbage teams. Detroit Pistons of the NBA have been down forever. You know, the Ducks have gone through a very painful rebuild. But if you have to spend to a certain level, that makes more money available for guys to go play, put your sweater on, wear your uniform, play in a game. I'd I'd like to see that negotiation take place, and I know salary cap is a forbidden term, but if it's linked to the gross revenue coming in the door, and baseball's revenues have just rocketed, just like the NFL, mm-hmm. so that would mean the cap would go up for every star player, and it'd be more money going to the other guys in places like Kansas City, Pittsburgh, et cetera. Yeah, I, I think this is a good idea because you look at any other industry, they don't have salary caps, of course, but the difference in sports is that they're competing against each other and you want something of a as close to parity as you can get. Now, you don't do that in the semiconductor industry or anything outside <laughs> of sports, but in sports you want to not have like – you know, King Kong against, you know, the, the midget ants every time. You need to have more balance. This makes sense to me. So the Florida spending seems like a really easy thing for them to agree on. The question is if they'll agree on the top number as well. But certainly Boris wants that bottom number boosted. So maybe some of his big guys can sign in Kansas City. Okay, that's interesting story. Hey, if you're with us on live stream, join us in the fans forum. Give us your quick take on salary cap and Florida spending, do you agree or disagree with me? Don't just sit here and listen. We need you to participate. Next topic. Okay. Uh, th- this is interesting. You know, we, you had this on our headline list here. These three guys we've talked about extensively, Trevor Bauer, Matt Ariza, and Colin Kaepernick, a lot of similarities yet differences. How do you judge players? That's a huge issue. And the reaction to what players do Uh, Let's just start with Trevor Bauer, the disgraced Dodger Indian Reds pitcher. He's now been sued by a fourth woman from Arizona 
for, quote, rough sex. She's charged that he raped her, choked her, threatened her with a knife, got her pregnant, and then paid $8,000 so she could have an abortion. Oh my God. So All right. Trevor Bauer is now involved. Same set of circumstances with a woman in Scottsdale, woman in San Diego, one back in Cleveland, one in Columbus. Just never, ever ends. He's denied it. He's filed a countersuit against her. He's gone public and said, woman came to me and said she was pregnant. She wanted a million six. I said, absolutely not. And he said, I will pay child support if you wish, or if you want to terminate, I'll pay for that. And all of a sudden, this lawsuit shows up. Guys, guys got a, an alternate lifestyle. I think the guy's toxic. I think he's self-destructed. I don't think anybody's going to touch him ever again because this junk just keeps happening. So that's that's player one. Player two is very different. Matt Ariza has been snubbed in the National Football League. The National Football League, which historically is all about second chances. You beat your wife, you get suspended, but you can't get reinstated. You do steroids, you can get suspended, you could be reinstated. You do cocaine and other things, yeah, you get suspended, but you might get reinstated. Drunk driving, same scenario. A lot of second chance players in the league. Matt Ariza did something stupid. Consensual sex with an underage girl that he thought was 18. Stupid decision. Should not keep him out of the National Football League. Now, he's getting sued. Mm -hmm. That's a civil thing, and that'll take place in court. Never, ever charged. Now, Bauer was never, ever charged. But in the court of public opinion, because that's happened four different times with four different women, that's a bad thing. So Bauer's toxic. Arise has been snubbed, and I just don't agree with it. And then we circle back to where, where this really all started with Colin Kaepernick. I mean, this was a quality NFL starting quarterback. San Francisco did some amazing things, got to the NFL and succeeded very early, and then started to comment and take public stands on social justice issues in society. Police brutality, uh, you know, racism. And all of a sudden... Other players, African-Americans mostly, started to side with them. And that then led to the whole collective team kneeling down before every NFL game. And it made a very uncomfortable situation. League never took discipline action against Kaepernick. He did nothing wrong except state an opinion. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, we got to the end of the season and nobody would touch him. He's never had a contract since then. Now, I will tell you his play had deteriorated because of shoulder injuries. I'll tell you he had surgeries. But he went through the rehab. Still nobody touched him. And they were going to try to stage a tryout. And he came in and he felt very leery of the people that were going to stage the tryout. And not very many teams showed up. And he tried to dictate terms of the tryout. Never got an offer ever again. The only team that talked to him was the Baltimore Ravens. Once. Blackballed. Mm. So we got toxic, we got snubbed, we got blackballed. So, John, I'll just, you don't have any opinions about anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Let me just put this at your front door. Okay. So how, how should we judge players? You know, Bauer, Kaepernick, Ariza, three really controversial stories. How do you judge them? Why did this wind up this way for those guys when you consider 
the multitude of guys out in the league that have been given seven chances and have done a bunch of really bad things, and yet they'll be in somebody's training camp July 29th, and they'll be on somebody's roster opening day. Yeah, well, I think a lot of times we confuse or conflate legality and morality, you know, and and sometimes we think if it's immoral, it should be illegal and vice versa. So it, it creates this kind of kind of a... A fuzzy area when we begin to judge some of these players. I was originally, you know, really hardcore against Trevor Bauer, but with Matt Ariza, I was always giving him the benefit of the doubt. A lot of our social media commenters on the YouTube channel said, well, Matt, uh, Trevor Bauer has not been convicted in a court of law. You have a double standard. And I started thinking about it and I went, you know, they're right to that degree. If, if it's one thing, if they are not legally um, charge if they are not found guilty in a court of law, then they should have all the same freedoms as anyone else. But on a moral level, yeah, I think uh, teams can make decisions on who they want to hire, who they want to sign, because that reflects on the brand and the the messaging that those. Uh, teams put out. In the end, I think that's why Colin Kaepernick didn't get a deal because NFL teams really wrapped themselves in the American flag and Colin Kaepernick, you know, kind of went and gets screened. But by the same token, the NFL has also picked up the banner that read Black Lives Matter. They the did. post-George Floyd thing. Mm -hmm. So if the NFL is supporting people who have been racially profiled, a man who died, why would they not support Kaepernick? Yeah, well, I think I think this goes to the league wide. They'll 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 take a stand. They'll embrace Black Lives Matter. But on an individual team by team basis, no owner wants to have their season ticket holders like, you know, hit the eject button because they're hiring someone like Kaepernick that some of the fans don't like, you know, and we can debate whether that was right or wrong. Personally, I'm a supporter of Kaepernick and what he was all about. But I mean, this is a very conservative country and a lot of conservative NFL owners. They don't want to they don't want to go there. OK, if you've got an opinion, whether you're pro or anti Bauer, Ariza, Kaepernick, join us, message us in fans form. John, before we move to the next question, because the really interesting story, what's gone on in the National Football League uh, off the field. Uh, just remind everybody about subscribing to all the unique things that we do virtually every day of the week. Yeah, so you can um, subscribe wherever you get your audio-only podcasts. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can also follow Hacksaw on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. Jeez, we've been putting these videos on Instagram. They've been exploding. We have some videos that have over 200,000 views. Um, we had another one we posted recently, and it was almost 100,000 views in just a couple of days. So, gee whiz, I mean, your your content is blowing up. So like, follow, share, and subscribe to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on the internet. And you got spare time on your hands. I know you do. Why don't you go to my website? You got to read it. It's really different. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Don't sit here and just listen. And by the way, tell everybody, hey, share, subscribe, and give us a thumbs up and give us a five-star rating. On we go, National Football League. We kind of touched on this last week. Stories taken on different dimensions. Yeah, a lot of gambling issues in the league, Lee. I like, I'm interested in your breakdown here. National Football League has issued memos now and have ordered all their teams as they finished up their OTAs this week. You will hold a seminar with all those players in camp, and you will give them this portfolio, this memo, about gambling. And plain and simple, the National Football League just handed out a six-point program insisting that the players understand it 
ask questions about it, and respect it. You cannot bet on NFL games. No exception. Mm -hmm. Period, exclamation point. You cannot have friends place a ghost bet for you. Now, I don't know how you monitor that, but you can't use burner phones. You can't use phony names. You can't have your posse place bets for you. Mm -hmm. That's item two. Item three, you will not make any transactions anywhere in team facility. Not locker room, not training rooms, not meeting rooms, not in a stadium on game day. No bets on any other sport Mm -hmm. if you're in the facility. No sharing of inside information. Obviously, injuries play a big role in who bets what in games. I had never thought about this. You're banned from going to a sports book during the course of the season. Interesting. From the start of training camp till an hour after the Super Bowl, you cannot be in a sports book. I don't know quite how you monitor that, but I will tell you it's a strange aspect to everything that's happened with us gambling. I'll tell you about that in a second. And no fantasy football because, in essence, that kind of brings in insider information. Yeah, it does. Right. So that's the six-point program that was delivered to all the players. I think they started having the seminars and meetings uh, on Wednesday. It's To me, it's really intriguing. I asked the question, well, how do you monitor some of this? What I found out is that the casinos, who obviously know who's in there and what they're doing, the casinos see a pro athlete laying down money. Mm -hmm. They notify either the NFL or the respective club. Okay. It's happened. It's happened a bunch of times in the last calendar year. So that. That's they're going to get some help here because the integrity of the game is the most important thing. Um, the NFL's got a problem. We talked about five Detroit Lions players, including number one draft pick Jameson Williams, who are betting. Now, they were betting on sports. They were not betting on NFL games, but they were betting on sports in the locker room. It was kind of a, a guy's group. And James, you know, Jameson Williams said, "Well, I didn't know. Well, you didn't know because yeah. you didn't pay attention at, right. the, at the rookie seminar. Look at section three of your of your NFL playbook that they handed out at the rookie seminar. They got another problem with Isaiah Rogers, starting cornerback, Indianapolis Colts, betting on games, NFL games, betting on his team. We don't know if it was to win or lose. He's been expelled." He's going to get suspended by the league. And now there's a report that the NFL has discovered there is a name player who lost $8 million betting last year. Don't know who it is at this point in time, but like anything else, deeper investigation goes, that name will come out. There will be huge discipline. Wow. $8 million. It's like it, it. It's like and similar to the mess in the National Hockey League, and we talked about this during the season. Evander Kane, San Jose Sharks, Edmonton Oilers, and huge bankruptcy issue. Lost a ton of money. He was a gambling addict. A ton of money. Wow. Now, they never found out that he was betting on NHL games, but he could not stop betting. And, of course, a prime example in the NFL is Calvin Ridley, high draft pick Atlanta, who blew out his Achilles and during the course of a year away from football while rehabbing in a lone, lone existence, got addicted to placing bets. And he got suspended for a year, and Atlanta released him. 
He just signed in Jacksonville. He's just been reinstated. So it's out there. And, John, we talked just very briefly. You know, are these isolated incidents in Detroit and Indy or somewhere else? Or is it really the tip of the iceberg? So six-point plan, your response. I'm, I like this. I think this is a good plan because the league has to keep gambling at arm's length because if people think the games are rigged, well, then it, it, it becomes something very different. It becomes like wrestling or, you know, Hulk Hogan or something. The, um, the, the, but the challenge is, is that the NFL is, is, is – uh, there's hypocrisy because they're in bed in Vegas. They're in bed with DraftKings and FanDuel and all these other guys. So they're in a tough spot to do it. I like this rule. The, to your point, how do you enforce it? Because, you know, you're roaming around a casino in Vegas and the sports book is just like in the, the next section of the building. It's not like it's a separate entity in and of itself. So, um, yeah, I mean, good on them for doing it. But, yeah, let's see how they enforce it. On we go. Another football story. Uh, OTAs are wrapped up this weekend. Everybody will be off for a group of weeks, and then everybody comes to training camp at the end of July. And there's some names that say, not coming. Not coming. I mean, this is grudge mode still with (laughs) trying to get the, the, the agreement to get more money. And they have salary cap issues. They probably can't afford them. Well, they franchise tag these two guys that are here. Uh, we're talking about Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants, who is a, just a really gifted running back, had a major knee injury two years ago, has bounced back. He was a really gifted player before he got hurt, had a real bounce back season. The other one was Josh Jacobs, who really struggled with the Raiders and then busted out last year and he had almost 1,800 all-purpose yards. These are two really good football players. Contracts expiring, could not reach agreement on multi-year deals. These players were franchise tagged at 10.6. They have refused to sign the franchise tag. They both boycotted the OTAs. Barkley has confirmed, I'm seriously considering sitting out the entire season. He wants the multi-year mega contract that the other top running backs are getting. Now, he's, you know, at this point, statistically, he's not, he's not close to the running back in Tennessee. He's not close to the Charger running back, Austin Eckler, in terms of all-purpose yards, monster stats, but he's really good. Jacobs has had one really good year. These guys say, we want the Christian McCaffrey-type runny. Now, I don't know that they're going to get 13 mil per year. McCaffrey's the highest-paid guy in the league. But what you've got now is guys are saying, I'm not playing for one-year 10 mil with no security Mm because if you get hurt, you now have no leverage. And usually you give guys, even at the running back position where guys do get dinged, you give them three-year deals with injury guarantees, which if they get hurt in the second year or the first year, probably the three-year contract is is totally guaranteed. Uh, you don't give guys, you don't give running backs seven-year contracts. That's for certain. You don't. It's it's age-old argument. I want guaranteed money to protect me down the road. Yeah. Whether that's next year or the year after, or the fourth year of the contract if I stay healthy. So. I mean, the Raiders have got so many player personnel problems. They really need Josh Jacobs to be what he was last year. And Barkley's part of that that two- or three-man offensive unit that had an unbelievable breakout season that took the Giants, uh, you know, deep into the season and in the playoff race. So you got to find a way to get this. you got to give them some money, but they're not going to—obviously not going to give them $13 million a year. No, but I, I, you can't blame these guys, you know, because they see what's going around. They see what these quarterbacks are getting. Holy moly. And they see all the revenue in the sport. But they—you to you mentioned the word leverage. They don't have leverage other than doing this. 
You know, they can squawk about getting paid more, but in the end, it's not going to change. You know, like in, in the rest of the economy, if we're unhappy with our employer, we could quit and then we can go get a job with someone else. But these guys can't do that. I don't know how this is going to end because there are some unsigned free agents out there uh, who have refused to sign the franchise tag. Uh, more than half the guys, I think there were, I want to say there were 13 franchise tag guys. I think seven of the 13 have signed so far. So this bear is watching over the next couple of weeks. Everybody's off till we get to about July 26th. Camp opens. We'll see if anything changes if they give them money going forward. And, of course, the quarterbacks are still out there, and they're negotiating with Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and, and with the Chargers and Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and I think those guys will probably get themselves signed and get themselves into camp. Speaking of money, college football story. This is <laughs> yeah. really different. Yeah, I mean, it, it's we keep talking about money and things off the court, <laughs> outside the lines. Uh, we're going to talk about baseball and football. But, yeah, the, the NCAA, is, this is interesting. All the the huge money that's involved here. Yeah, the USA Today did a research project just released it yesterday, and they listed the revenues of every Division One program in the nation from top to bottom, and it, it's absolutely stunning the amount of money that comes in. They also listed the expenses to run that athletic department. I think this was all from twenty twenty two budgets, mm. uh, open records. That's how they got access to it. But when you look, you look at the money that's that's there. Ohio State is the top gross revenue school in all of college sports. Now this encompasses football and basketball primarily. When you look at that Ohio State number, the amount of money that the Buckeyes bring in two hundred fifty-one million. They spend about two hundred thirty-seven million. So there's a decent profit there at Ohio State. Uh, Texas, and it's odd because Texas has not won a lot in recent years, and its its basketball program has taken a jump up in the last couple. But those big cigars, those guys with oil money, <laughs> yeah. holy cow! <laughs> Look at the amount of money that the, the Texas Longhorns uh, made last year. It took in two hundred thirty nine million. Alabama, and I, and I thought Alabama would have been higher. I thought Alabama would be number one just because of what Saban's done in football and what Crimson Tide basketball has become last couple of years vis-a-vis the NCAA tournament. But but Bama's at $214 million. And Michigan under Harbaugh and with a great basketball program with Juwan Howard, uh, they're the fifth highest in the country at $210 million. Uh, now, locally, USC, $171 million. Wow. Spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, they're now having their mail sent to the Big Ten a year from now, so the money is going to grow. One's got problems, UCLA. They're at a deficit. $103 million is what they take in last year. Their expenses were over $132 million. I think it's the fifth straight year that UCLA has had a, a really significant athletic department deficit. And closer to home, San Diego State. Uh, they spend what they earn. 65 mil for the Aztecs, 65 expenditures for the Aztecs. I'm sorry, 67 expenditures. There are 2 million in the red, which is not bad. So it's fascinating to see. It's big business. They, they, they listed all the Division I football programs in the country. I think it was 130. Uh, and you've, you've got the halves at the top, and you've got the little guys at the bottom, which means it's really hard to exist. A place that I'm really familiar with, VMI, Virginia Military Institute, they took in only $16 million 
That's a that's a one double A program. Mm-hmm. They spent sixteen million. Sixteen million when you compare oh, yeah. what Ohio State took in. So there's just monster disparity in sports. So that's the that's the dollar and cents report in college athletics. Thought you'd find that interesting. It is interesting to me, but I think ultimately it's about the bottom line. You know, because if these universities are running huge deficits, not only is that not sustainable, but then you get the athletic department ends up making the academic side really angry, you know, but, but still for a lot of these universities, you have to think about the money being spent on sports. Isn't just to fund sports. It's part of the overall university branding marketing campaign, talking the message about why their university is so great. So I think these programs can see, hopefully they can see it both ways. But I think of UCLA, that's, I remember they were in financial problems. That's why they're going to the big 10, but they have so many sports. They probably have as many sports as any other university. I believe the number is 24. 24 sports, right? So it's no wonder that they're in a, in a deficit, um, you know, because of all their track and field and tennis and golf and everything else. And now they're going to be flying, you know, cross country for these games. But uh, yeah, the numbers are big differences. It's huge. I mean, it is a huge financial business aside from wins and losses on Saturday in the football stadium or March Madness. Title IX kind of comes into this, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this money has nothing to do with NIL. That's a whole separate entity thing funded by alumni, wow. by, by the big cigars. Okay, before we uh, get to next topic on the table, John's going to try three-point shooting during our break. Uh, just a reminder that we do our podcast every Thursday. We do bonus podcast on Monday. I'll invite you again. If you've never sampled my website, take a look. Hey, check it every day. If I'm bold enough to write all that stuff every day, you should be old enough to read it every day, and then you'll be fully informed. And we want you to share. We want you to subscribe so you'll know when we put stuff on the podcast. We want you to tell all your friends. If you can, give us a thumbs up. If you can, give us a five-star review. And don't forget, we're pushing to 2,000. We want to get 2,000 subscribers by July 4th week. We just busted through the 1,900 barrier. So, yeah. This sucker's kind of moving at warp speed. On, yeah. on we go. Let's talk hoops. Uh, hoops, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on here with potential trade um, uh, situations here. here Some of go. these teams. Yeah, here we go. We got a lot lot here. We're just going to hit you with a couple bullet points. NBA draft is just around the corner. NBA free agency is right after that. Trade rumors are here, there, and everywhere. Let's start with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, this involves Damian Lillard, their superstar guard who's been by himself. Team has not been very good for a group of years. Portland's got the third pick in the draft. He says, I want you to use that pick to go get veteran players to put around us. Mm. They just don't have a lot of depth there. And the alternative is, if you can't do that, then you should trade me somewhere else. So Lillard, who's a great player, has been a really good citizen in Portland. His name is out there based on what he's demanded they do with the third pick or based on the fact I don't want to be here if you can't fix everything around me. A lot of, lot of rumors out there as to where he might go. Fix the team or otherwise you lose me. Second one, Phoenix Suns, new owner. It sure looks like there's going to be an eruption there in the Valley of the Sun. Uh, new owner comes in. They fire the coach instantly after they are beat out of the playoffs. Monty Williams had done a good job. He's gone. Chris Paul will not be there. He will either be traded or he will be released. They'll take a, a cap hit there. 
And out of nowhere comes a story this past week. DeAndre Ayton, the starting setter, is being shopped. It's interesting. You might be able to link the logo on the right side with the logo on the left side because the Suns evidently are talking to Portland. You give us the third pick and a player, and we'll give you DeAndre Ayton. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. Third pick is this hot shot 18, 19-year-old guard, Scooty Henderson. So there might be smoke and fire there. Uh, Chris Paul, Clippers are interested. Chris Paul, Lakers are interested. All of a sudden, Chris Paul, Boston's interested. So whether they just let him walk or whether they try to use him as a, get another bargaining chip back, uh, that remains to be seen. Golden State. I find this one really hard to believe because they've got the vested veterans, have had all that success, the rings, the trophies, etc. And they've drafted a bunch of guys who are trying to bring along. They already traded one of them away, Jonathan Wiseman, the big setter out of Memphis. He went to Detroit. He just never grew, but he had a lot of injury problems. Uh, they got Jordan Poole. His name is out there. They might be shopping him. They may have changed their mind about him because he absolutely disappeared during the course of the playoffs. And and the Warriors are also involved in, in now a possible deal for Jonathan Kaminga. He's a 19-year-old that they, they drafted. He, he played a year in the G League, and he, he's had spurts. So I'd be stunned if they move him. But all of a sudden, all these rumors are flying there. Miami just completed a really great basketball season. Now, they, they don't have enough. They need more bullets. They got four guards. I think they're going to trade two of the guards. Now, they're not going to trade Jimmy Butler. Um, sit down. He's not going to Golden State, John. Uh, but uh, they've, they've got Tyler Hero, who they really like. They've yeah. got the old dog who had a, just a great championship series uh, in Dwight Lowry. Uh, they've got uh, this young kid who uh, just came out of nowhere shooting the ball and, and played really well. And I, th- I think he's might might be part Dunk Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, there's talk that there's they have real interest going to Milwaukee to try to get Chris Middleton. They'd have to give up mm. maybe two of the young guards to get the veteran guard, but they, they need more firepower and they want a little bit more veteran experience. So somebody's going to leave Miami. In Toronto, this is all a byproduct of guys who are going to opt out of contracts. They're going to force the Raptors' hand, sign and trade. They're talking about dealing Pascal Siam, who's played very well, didn't have a good season last year. Fred Van Vliet, self-made guard, he's already opted out. He could, excuse me, he could go somewhere in a sign-in-trade, so keep an ear uh, on that. And the latest one had just developed, Washington Wizards, who've been losing and losing for years. Brad Beal asked to be traded, and Washington, which now has a new regime in there, new general manager would come from the Clippers, Washington is is evidently putting them on the block, and they're going to shop him, and he's a really fine player. I didn't mention the Lakers because we kind of covered that ground as it relates love me, love me not, LeBron James. Didn't mention Dallas uh, because th- there's a lot of moving parts there, and I don't know what's fact or fiction at this point. But those are the latest trade rumors going towards the draft. I do think you're going to see a bunch of dominoes fall. Yeah, th- these are interesting names here on the board and interesting teams. I mean, I, I think about uh, the Raptors, and if Fred Van Vliet is dealt, which, you know, if he wants to leave, go f- get traded or be a free agent, that opens up an opportunity for Malachi Flynn. Sure. You know, and I think he, that kid, man, he was so good here at San Diego State, and he's shown glimpses of it in the N- NBA. So I'm just hoping he gets a chance. But yeah, Washington, that franchise has been in the tank for 
decades now. I mean, they were great when they were the bullets with Wes Unseld, but I mean, have they done anything in the last 20 or 30 years? Well, they they'd stockpiled a whole bunch of players and they all got hurt. That's just a big issue. Mm-hmm. And they've run a lot of guys through there that thought this guy would be a missing piece. You know, they, they made the trade for Kyle Kuzma, that, that multiplayer deal with the Lakers that, you know, involved the Russell Westbrook transaction. And he he came in and he's played pretty well. And now he's going to be a free agent. They want to re-sign him, but they just don't have strength in numbers and they just keep going through players and this this guy might help us and make us different and it doesn't work or a guy gets hurt or the guy has a bad season and keep firing coaches. So uh, Brad Beal is the last of the guys standing that was supposed to be the, the group that was going to lead them to really great things. So I do think it, I think they're going to be fireworks as the, as we head towards the draft with some of these players. And then obviously we got free agency that kind of kicks in right after that. Yeah. I mean, I think the proven formula is, is you have two or three big time superstars and you fill in the gaps with role players and young kids. And what does Portland have besides Lillard? I mean, you know, they, they're getting DeAndre Ayton is an interesting guy because you know, he'd be a number five. He played down there, down, down low by the block. But I'm not as intimate with the Portland roster or what their needs are. Probably they just need anybody. Well, they had they had a good running mate in C.J. McCollum, and they traded him to New Orleans, which to me was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they just have never had bigs. They've never had start players. They kept making transactions and trying to find something to to fit <coughs> with Lillard. He's a good player, and he's a really good citizen. But he's on the clock. He's tired. Tired of losing. Okay, from basketball, let's talk about what just finished the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, this is amazing. And the way this whole thing went down, Las Vegas wins a championship within their first six years of existence. I asked the question weeks ago, and we triggered all these hockey fans who started to respond to us. Is anybody going to watch the Stanley Cup final? <laughs> Look who's in the final. Yeah. Vegas, uh, Florida Panthers, who were the last team in. Anybody to watch it? Nobody did. Nobody. Worst TV ratings in 30 years. Ooh. And that that's a blow because I thought the games were really cool. I thought the series leading up uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals. But no, no marquee teams. No Boston Bruins. They went on vacation after the first round. No Maple Leafs. No Oilers. Mm-hmm. To my heartburn, uh, you know, the Kings went out. Uh, they just weren't sexy names there, and they drew in their the final game, final game, fifth game. They only drew two point five million viewers. Really, and the overall playoffs, the final series only drew two point eight million average. So that's a huge disappointment. That being said, it was cool. What an environment Las Vegas is. It was so neat at the end. And I, there's a whole bunch of guys on the team that I got great respect for. Mark Stone uh, had two back surgeries. He came back and he wound up being the MVP. And you looked at the goaltender, Aiden Hill, was a fifth stringer when the season started. Vegas lost four goaltenders with significant injuries. This guy carried them through the playoffs in a contract year. He's been a guy that's been in the American Hockey League for a whole bunch of years. And finally, he got the chance and he got he got red hot. You know, and if you just look at the other games, Jonathan Marceseau, uh, he's been there since day one. He's one of the first players that they brought in. Uh, William Carlson, William Carrier, ex-LA King, Alec Martinez, ex-Duck and Goal, Shea Theodore. 
I mean, it was a, it was a really well-constructed team that was big, it was fast, it was deep, it got a hot goaltender, and they just sent wave after wave after wave, and then Florida got hurt. Uh, and Matthew Kachuk suffered a fractured sternum and tried to play through it. He couldn't. Aaron Ekblad, the defenseman, broken foot, seven surgery today. They just ran out of players and they ran out of gas. But they called themselves when, when they came into the league and he had all these guys coming from all these teams and Mark Stone was the first one in in the door. He said, we're a bunch of misfits. And they made the Stanley Cup Finals the first year. Amazing. As a, as a, quote, expansion team. Now, that being said, there's an asterisk there, John, because the league changed the draft rules. The history was, John, your expansion team, give us your money. Mm-hmm. And we're going to protect all our players, and we'll give you the 23rd guy on our roster and the right to draft maybe the third goaltender. Mm. So, so a whole bunch of the expansion teams from yesteryear were horrid. The old Washington Capitals, which have become a good franchise, I think their first year they won nine games. It was terrible. So the league, and I give credit to the owner uh, of of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. He said, if you want $500 million expansion fee, you're going to have to give us players. Yeah. And they did. They came up and they, they got a collection of really good players. So they made the Stanley Cup Finals first year, didn't win. But they kept the team together. They had all these draft picks that they they compiled. They drafted really well. They made some bold trades. You thought, geez, why would you trade for a guy who had a fractured neck? His name is Jack Eichel, former mm-hmm. number one pick Buffalo. Jack Eichel was such an impact player with Mark Stone, with Marsha Shaw. So, I mean, they did everything right and— the most part, they stayed free of catastrophic injuries, hit the jackpot on what few free agents they signed, really scored well in getting Eichel and Martinez came from the Kings in trade. And look where they are, a sixth year, they win the Stanley Cup. And that building, I don't know if the roof blew off yet, but man, that was, that was <laughs> just wild. Well, they, I, I've seen some of the pregame stuff where they bring the, the show onto the ice, you know, with the with the guy that looks like he's from Game of Thrones and the whole thing. But I love it when these these new expansion teams have success quickly. I mean, Vegas here with an NHL, but I think of the, the Miami or the Florida Marlins back in the day, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they won championships in the first few years out of the gate. And meanwhile, the Washington Wizards the Detroit Lions, the San Diego Padres have gone decade upon decade of futility. It's just amazing how this works. I guess it really comes down to management. Okay, before we go, just reminder, Fans Forum coming up. You got a question, statement to make? Let us know. Pick one of the topics we've talked about and fire us a question. We'll try to get to as many as we can. John, last topic on the table. Corner kicked me a few questions in soccer. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting because we, we have, have they signed Greg Barhalter? I mean, what are they doing for the head coach? Okay, let me take you a whole bunch of different directions. Okay. Here. Team USA, under its second interim coach, plays... Tonight, Thursday night, Mexico, first round of the Nations League tournament. Okay. I'm so excited to watch this because Team USA has its star back in Christian Pulisic from Chelsea. Weston McKinney has come back uh, from the EPL. On the roster are the young guns, Gia Reyna, Ricardo Pepe, Alex Zendejas, the Mexican, is playing for the U.S. side and Fa Balogan, the kid from France that they just got 
transferred in, scored 21 goals this past year. They suddenly have all this firepower with Pulisic and McKinney. I'm going to be fascinated to see how quickly it comes and it starts tonight against Mexico uh, in the Nations League. So that's that's topic one there. Um, other topics here. Let's just run through this fairly quickly if I can. I'll try to remember as much as I can. Um, Kai Mbappé, the great star from France, is going to leave Paris Saint-Germain. Oh, wow. He's very upset. Of course, Lionel Messi left a week ago mm-hmm. to come to Miami MLS. But Mbappé has ripped the fans in Paris and the media for blistering Messi for leaving. Really? Messi was a free agent, was offered a ton in Saudi Arabia, decided not to go. He turned around and he elected uh, not not to go back to FC Barcelona or Real Madrid. And uh, out of the surprise of, of the year... Is going to MLS in kind of a unique marketing deal. But Mbappe just was furious at the people in Paris, the fans and the media, for how they treated Messi, who's one of the great players mm-hmm. of all time. So that's a big issue. Uh, you asked about Greg Berhalter. This is a surprise. Team USA has started interviewing other people. Oh, wow. Have not interviewed Berhalter yet with the new general manager, Matt Crocker. Burhalter is interviewing, I believe, this weekend in the Netherlands for a team known as Sparta Rotterdam that he played for. Mm-hmm. And he has a second interview, and you're going to have to hit me on the side of the head. <laughs> I'm trying to remember who the second one is with, uh, but it, it's not in the English Premier League. But there's a second team that he's going to interview with abroad. Uh, so God. because time has gone yeah, and he's been in such limbo since December 31st when the contract expired, he is now looking at these other places. And I get the sense that maybe he's going to take one of these other jobs because Team USA has not moved on him. Yeah. I mean, they're dragging their feet and they're going to lose this opportunity for a coach that the players like and has done a good job on the last World Cup team. But I'm, I'm thinking about the Mbappe situation. It's interesting because as fans – Sometimes we kind of go a little overboard and we think that those players are our players. And how could you be a traitor and go to that other team or that other league? You know, we get angry when they leave us um, like a scorned, you know, boyfriend when their girlfriend dumps them. So uh, it, it's so emotional. And especially in Europe with soccer, it's probably over the top. It's their sport, plain and simple. Yeah. Uh, I'd be disappointed if Burhalter gets away. Um, I just, I mean, you listen to what Pulisic said a week ago when their training camp opened for the Nations League tournaments. He said, we are here. We are excited. We have had success. We have grown because of him. Exactly. So that's where we are. That's the latest uh, in our soccer notebook. And we'll see what happens. Team USA against Mexico. Are you ready? I'm ready. You got friends out there? We got some friends. You know, people are chiming in all over here on the, on the fans forum. So let's get everyone involved. And who do we want to go to first? And this is going to, we're going to go here to, to Barry uh, Tidmore talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. Can he stay healthy? He plays with reckless abandon. Now, I thought it'd be very hard for get him to change his style, quit sliding head first in because, you know, wrist injuries, thumb injuries, shoulder injuries. Uh, He's done that. 
Uh, he's quit running into walls. First two weeks of the season, I thought, uh-oh, because he kept banging into fences trying to – and he's, he's gotten progressively better at reading fly balls off the bat because initially his reaction time was really slow. Take a step back. No, you gotta got to go in. He just He's playing a dynamic right field. And I'll tell you what, with him and Trent Grisham in center field – they cover so much real estate. <laughs> they do. Holy cow. They do. Yeah. They're going to go to work for Remax. Uh, very impressed. I mean, I, as long as he, you know, he doesn't get hurt because he does play really hard. Yeah. I think you could tell that he still plays athletically and with all this enthusiasm and energy, but he hasn't been crossing the line as much where in his first couple of years, I mean, he was just, you know, Hundred percent on everything. Yeah, the the correct word you're looking for is balls to the wall. Hundred percent. Yeah. So you now he's a, he's a little bit more mature. He's picking his moments. But geez, just to watch him last night, the athleticism in every component of the game was just fantastic. We're just so happy to have him here in San yeah. Diego. You don't see that. You don't see that in a given game. A guy do every check off all the boxes yeah. in one night. In it was one night, phenomenal. <laughs> it was incredible. All right. Next question. Okay. So uh, let's go here to to Rome loves Dan. He says, the leagues are bargaining with the dark side, accepting all these gambling site partnership money-making deals. Uh, John used the word hypocrisy. The league won't view it that way. It's business. And what is the NFL all about? It's dollars and cents. Yeah, the game is great. We love NFL Sundays and Monday night football and all that. But it's a mega business. I mean, they're, I think they're at $18 billion revenue. And they're no different than anybody else. The NBA has started to take gambling dollars and Major League Baseball on the broadcast. The, you know, the DraftKings percentage that this guy's can put the ball in play is mm-hmm. everybody's doing it because the money is out there. The revenue is out there. But at the end of the day, you have, have to have rules, regulations. You have to freaking threaten people that you're not going to gamble and and. These are the guidelines. And for the players, I know there are some probably who have a gambling addiction. Uh, But for the players, they have to understand what they put at risk if they do it themselves. Mm -hmm. That's their career. That's their contract. Uh, Can I just mention the name Pete Rose? Yeah. There we go. So that's where we are. Is it hypocrisy? Maybe not. I, I just think it's it's the world of business that professional sports is living in right now. I mean, imagine if you could wave a magic wand and gambling disappeared. I know it sounds ridiculous, but imagine it was not just illegal, but just didn't exist. The NFL would not be anywhere near what it is right now. It's all the, the, the gambling money that really builds a lot more additional enthusiasm around the league. That's why people are signing up for NFL Sunday tickets in the red zone because they want to see when their wide receiver on their fantasy team scores. Um, but yeah, for the players' perspective, I mean, they got to understand. Obviously, they can lose a lot of their own money gambling. Number two, they could lose their career gambling, and that and that should be a, a big threat from the league. But they have to also understand that they could, they're potentially killing the golden goose. That if this league goes into this funny business of being like an orchestrated theater, then then it loses all credibility. The word is integrity. Yes, so that's where we are. I I am concerned though. That this is the tip of the iceberg. What happened in Detroit? What's happened in Indy? And this name player who eight, lost eight million dollars last year—that's going to come out. I think it's probably not rampant, but I think it's probably in a bunch of locker rooms because these are young guys with time on their hands, with bank mm-hmm. to spend, 
whatever. Next question. Okay, this is kind of a fun one, talking a little bit about the days of uh, sports talk radio. From Art Flores. I don't think that's the real Art Flores, former head coach of the Raiders. Hey, legit question, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Do you get upset when Rome impersonates you? Don't let it bother you, bro. It's funny. And where will Matt, I assume he means Matt Ariza land? Uh, Don't have any problem with it. Romy was a teammate. We didn't always agree. That's okay. We were part of the cornerstones that made Extra 690 legendary. Uh, I guess, and John and I have talked about this before, because it's one of the first things John ever asked me. I don't get upset. I don't understand it, though, because if he's talking to a nationwide audience, whatever he's got left on his radio show, and he starts dropping these things, show me your lightning bolt. You know, the guy guy in a car in Des Moines, Iowa, listening, probably doesn't understand what that means. No. You know, I mean, in SoCal, yeah, people would understand it. So, nah, it's it's cool. He's had a great career. I had a great career. Uh, so I, I don't have a problem with it. In terms of Ariza, we have now come through many camps. I am really surprised nobody signed him. It would have to be a minimum wage contract. We got till July 26th. Now, sometimes if you get into camp and your your putter suffers a major injury, maybe he's the first name in the Rolodex that they'll call. But uh, I, I think the kid deserves a chance because a league historically has given second chances to a lot of guys, including a bunch of bad citizens. I just think there shouldn't be a penalty for a college kid who is, quote, stupid. I hope it. I hope he gets a chance. Well, yeah, I hope so, too. I mean, he's very deserving. I mean, he's the punk god, after all. So we are all rooting for him. Uh, but you know what, Lee? We all love you. And, and so when— Not when, everybody. Well, okay. But, but Rome, when Rome does that, it's partly it's like an inside joke to the clones, right? But when I hear him impersonating you, it— it makes me feel like I'm, it's 1993 again, <laughs> you know, and I'm listening on 690 and it's like I'm sort of uh, inside, you know, I kind of get the joke because I'm and it's not really a joke. But it's love and, and, and flattery, but it's it's just kind of neat when he does it. And, yeah, the new clones that started listening 10 years ago, they have no idea what this is about. But I just I just like it. It makes me smile. He didn't smile when I said early on because we used to. Exchange gunfire on the air. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know who he reminds me of? Remember the TV show, Welcome Back, Cotter? That's Arnold Horshack, is it not? <laughs> he got so upset at me. But uh, now he's had a really nice career and he's got a great wife and two kids. And he's he's done very, very well. And I've done very, very well, too. Okay, yeah. on we go. On we go. Um, let's go here and get Kenny involved. Kenny Hernandez said... Will a Kellen Moore offense give Isaiah Spiller more playing time? He's going to probably get playing time. Uh, they got to develop him. Uh, there's no doubt that what he did at Texas A&M was really special. Uh, they spent the the OTAs lining him up sometimes as a slot receiver, in addition to being maybe the backup running back. Uh, he'll get ops in games. Um, I don't think he's going to put Eckler on the bench, but he'll be the very good insurance policy. And they really like all the things he does. And it's interesting, Kellen Moore's closing comments yesterday, yesterday was the final day of OTAs. He told he told the players, be prepared to make plays and do your job when you get here July 26th. I'm going to be fascinated to see what they do differently offensively because John... They are loaded on offense. 
The front line has been rebuilt. They now have four young guys in the old dog at center. And Corey Lindsley, love the offensive line. They obviously have a tight end they like in, in Gerald Everett. They've got Keenan Allen. they got Mike Williams. they got Quentin Johnston, the number one pick, who looked pretty good. They get uh, Guyton back coming off the knee surgery. Josh Palmer had a breakout season. So they're deep there. They're at least two to three deep at running back. I think offensively they're going to be fun. Defensively, I think they still got holes. They have to find a way to address. There's still a bunch of unsigned defensive free agents out there. But I'm looking forward to rooting for Justin Herbert to go 17 and 0 with the offense. <laughs> of course, they do want Dean Spanos to go 0 and 17 as the owner of the Chargers. Go ahead. Do you think it's realistic or it's fair for the fans to be skeptical of Kellen Moore because he comes from the Cowboys and the Cowboys have had a lot of frustrations in the playoffs? Well, Cowboys last year were wiped out with injuries in the offensive front, and then. Dak Prescott two years ago had a real significant injury. And Ezekiel Elliott, there's a lot of miles on those tires. He's not the same running back anymore. He's still unsigned. Uh, so they were going through some transition along the way. Uh, but Kellen, Kellen Moore's a bright guy, and he's an X and O's guy. And when Dak Prescott was healthy and Zeke still was healthy, and you know they had Amari Cooper for a period of time, they moved the ball down the field. So I, I'll be interested to see how different this offense is. That quarterback here, there, I should say, <laughs> Chargers quarterback yeah. is really dynamic. So I, he, know, he knows where to put the ball, where not to put the ball. He knows defenses. He knows timing patterns. He's got a gun for an arm. He's got mobility, though he doesn't want to run, but he moved the pocket. He doesn't get rattled. He's, you know, you take... Your grade point average at UCSD and my grade point average at Ohio U added together, it wouldn't probably match Justin Herbert's grade point average at Oregon. He's a real sharp guy. So, I'm, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm excited for offense. I don't think they can stop anybody, and maybe maybe they're going to have to win their games 42-38. Yeah, but he's got to win in the playoffs. I mean, that's yep. the, the level we haven't seen from him. Next step. You have to take the next step. You have to learn how to win in the playoffs. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on. We got some social media questions here, and here we go. Uh, this is uh, from Michael Alley talking about Stan Kroenke and the San Diego Sports Arena. Mm-hmm. It says Lee, I had a thought after seeing a report on on this yesterday. What if Stan Kroenke plans on selling his interest in the Colorado Avalanche and buys the Coyotes and moves them to San Diego? This is not outside the realm of possibilities. He did something similar with bringing the Rams back to L.A. It would also have his hockey interest close to his business here in SoCal with the Rams. That's hockey fan. Hockey fan joining us on the hockey hotline. That's that's kind of like you. He's you know, you're in left field, he's thinking outside the box. Yeah. I, I think that's too complicated. I mean, Kroenke has done so many phenomenal things in the Rocky Mountain region. I mean, from from his NBA champion Nuggets, Colorado Avalanche, who won a crown, what he's done in soccer, what he's done in building stadiums, uh, and his media interest. He owns a regional sports network that is flourishing. Wow. So he's really successful in that 303 area code. I don't I don't think he would he would divest himself of the, of the abs. But your point being made and nobody wants to talk about it cuz Gary Bettman is defiant the NHL commissioner that we're staying in Arizona. Why would you stay in Arizona when you don't have an arena? You got the players association now really upset. You don't have huge fan support. If we get this when Kroenke builds this thing, and it's probably going to be 16,000, 
Why would you not reach across the state line and try to snatch the Arizona Coyotes maybe yeah. two years from now or three years from now? These things take time. You're not going to build a new sports arena by three weeks from Monday. I'll guarantee you that. But as we're looking towards 26, maybe 27, and if Arizona's never, ever solved their thing, why not? San Diego making a move to get the Coyotes. 3.5 million market. It is a good hockey market, as proven by the great support for the American Hockey League San Diego goals up to last season when they had a really bad year. I, it, may, it makes a lot of sense. But that being said, also, if the NFL, NHL gives up, you got Houston. For some reason, people think Atlanta will be a very different market. And the one that I think should get the, mar- the franchise is, is Quebec at the Olympic Stadium there. So a lot of things have to happen, but uh, it's, it's not bad to think out of the box. You can wish and hope. I, that'd be kind of cool if that ever happened, but not going to happen immediately. Well, San Diego sports fans are are excited, you know, and you got a billionaire rolling in, potentially new facility. Well, definitely a new facility. Why not a new team? So I, this is going to be a fun, you know, three or four years here, how this unfolds. Okay, on we go. Let's go bring in a couple more here. Okay, this this is about the, the Jaguars and their stadium situation yeah. from Logan Robinson. He says, from the community meetings the Jags have been having over the past couple of days, it seems like they prefer two years construction and play in Gainesville at the Swamp. Well, there has been talk, Gainesville. There has been talk, Citrus Bowl, Orlando, and this Daytona Speedway thing just kind of came out of nowhere. Now, that's it's 90 miles from Jacksonville on a straight shot down the freeway. But that stadium, the way it's constructed, they could seat, I was told, 60 to 100,000 on the main straightaway. You build the field right in the infield, and then you could construct some partial stands maybe in the end zones and on the other side of the field. If you have the potential to draw 101,000 for all your home games, I think you'd want to go to Daytona rather than go to the Citrus Bowl, which seats 42,000 or obviously in the swamp. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. They, they've already started dialogue with the engineers about how could we do this at Daytona Speedway? They seem really fascinated. Now, I don't know if, if, if this is all a leverage thing by Shad Khan, the owner, that if we don't get this done, I might go to London for two years. And I know Jacksonville and Eastern Florida would not want to lose the Jaguars for two full seasons and go play all their home games in London. Of course, the league is looking at it from a different perspective. When we spin back to the shield and money, mm-hmm. the league is looking, well, let's experiment and see if— if England, United Kingdom, would really support full-time an NFL franchise, and Jacksonville can be the one to plant the flag as the experiment. I don't know. You tell me. And this is interesting ideas. I imagine the people that run the Daytona Motor Speedway are loving this. This is a potentially huge revenue boost for that property. I just wonder if they did it and then— they put the football field in the infield, and then the Daytona, you know, 500 comes around the next year. Will they be able to still function that uh, event normally? You know, because things have been reconfigured. Well, yeah, but you're not ripping up the the track up. Mm-hmm. You're you're just building a football field, and if we put temporary stands in the other side of the field, we still have the base sixty to a hundred, two thousand that sit along the straightaway, screaming and yelling at at. Uh, 
Denny Hamlin and all those guys. <laughs> Would it be like it, like you know, the old school LA Coliseum where there's almost like a, a running track around the football field, and so the the fans and the stands are further back. Yeah, there so. would be because you can't move the football field onto the track because the track is is tilted. Mm-hmm. It's got a huge bank banking degree. Uh, it's interesting to see where this goes, and I'd, I'd never say never because the league has the the ability to do a lot of creative things and. This is a little bit out of the box, but it's worth worth watching to see where it goes. Let's do one more here. Okay, one more. This is the next one in line. This is uh, from uh, V... How do you say this? Vimeca. Uh, okay, that's how you say it. Talking about the Padres and everything that's going crazy with them. Padres flagship... Fraud, ah, start over. Padres flagship station won't say anything bad about the Padres, and local news has been garbage for many years now, especially four-minute-long sports segments. We need Hacksaw back on the waves. Well, anything is possible, I guess. If the phone rings, I guess I pick it up and I talk to somebody. Uh I I I just think that when you do sports talk radio, you you have a responsibility to the citizens and the listener to cover the stories. If you win five, you talk in glowing terms. If you lose five, you analyze why you're struggling. If your star is hitting three thirty three, you have that conversation. If he's hitting two twenty two, you have to have that conversation. They're they're just a blend of honesty. You need to be fair. Philosophically, when I did sports talk radio, I didn't beat up the teams that were on my station or the team I broadcast, the Chargers. But if there were things that had to be said, I remember that we lost a game in Kansas City. It was horrid. Jaws played like crap and had playoff implications. And I went on at 4 o'clock with the best 15 minutes in radio. And my start after I did my opening thing was... Here's what's going on in the world of sports. Here's what Lee Hamilton thinks. You did not. <laughs> you did not do that. Oh, tell me that did not happen. Chargers lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't rip them. I just staged it a certain way. And then I let the fans open the phones and let the tidal wave of yeah. comment, critique, come that way. You got to be fair. You need to be fair to the athlete. The uh, only thing I ever said is if an athlete gets arrested... We're going to talk about it, and it might not be pretty. But that's mm-hmm. on the athlete. That's not on the talk show host. Uh, but to ignore a team falling apart, you can't you can't cheerlead if you're going to have any credibility. That's that's my philosophy. That's the way I always did it. It's being done a little bit differently now. But uh, I think the fans appreciate it when you give them the window to comment. And see, that's one of the, the problems I have is, Nobody takes phone calls anymore. I don't think it's good radio for two hosts to sit there for hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, so you did not do that. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting to me. Now, when you were the play-by-play man for the Padre, or excuse me, for the Chargers, were you an employee of the football team or were you an employee of the radio station? I worked for the radio station. Lock, stock, and barrel. Okay, and so then they contracted out to the radio station to broadcast the games. Yep. So you weren't really reporting to like a, a, a charger executive, never once. So, so you really ha- should have the the freedom to say what you want, but you're a professional, so you're not going to be over the top. You're going to be fair. But I think these teams, these players, they also have to have a thick skin too, because they're in the public eye. This is, you know, like TMZ to a degree and they love the praise, but they've got to be also to be able to accept the criticism. As long as you're fair, 
Correct. If you're if if you're fair in your analysis that this guy can't pitch anymore, we got to go find somebody else to plug into that rotation. Mm-hmm. They understand that. They should understand it. And I've, I've hardly had any issues with athletes. I never had an issue with the Chargers till they left our station. And then they managed to go one in fifteen in the Ryan Leaf era, oh, and and then it was guns a blazing, and I had things to say, and I let the fans have things to say, and when they bitched about it, my response was, "You used to be here in the station, you left our station, that mm-hmm. probably changed the whole game, so be it." But I never had a problem. But I did stage with how I wanted to put quote topics on the table, and uh, when I said. You did not. Tell me you did not lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, I think we're 2-9 and nine at that point. And the phones just exploded. Yeah, well, that's that's the right way to play it from your for your perspective, is let all the vitriol come from the callers that are calling in. But, gee whiz, I mean, just being a Charger fan back in the day, you just get so frustrated, you know, sometimes because the Chargers had the better team and they would just blow it in the end or they'd lose to an inferior team. I mean, it would just pull your hair out. I just remember listening to you on Sundays, a lot of times with the ticket in one hand and the transistor radio in the other. But on Mondays, I mean, I would either be in a good mood or a bad mood. Um, and then I started thinking, man, I'm taking this too seriously. Uh, we all do. Uh, quote, you fall under the description of fan. Yeah. Fanatical. Exactly. Uh, it's, it, it's interesting. It's just a different dynamic now. And so we had a great run. And the best thing, I, you know, it was interesting on sidebar. I was on a talk show in Seattle today because I had done the Seahawks too. And they remembered me, and they were talking about the most controversial thing that was going on when I was doing Seahawk football. And it was it was after Dennis Erickson had been the coach, and they brought in Mike Holmgren, and they started to build the thing. And we got, got the chance to go to the playoffs in the final weekend of the season and got screwed on a goal line call. Uh, Vinny Testaverde, New York Jets, tried a quarterback sneak on a fourth down play with 20 seconds to go. His helmet crossed the goal line. The ball never did. And they still signaled touchdown. Ah. And I'm sitting there. They, the replay took five minutes. It went forever. And we kept looking at different angles on the replay in the Seahawks radio booth. And he never got in. Never. The ball never. It was tucked in his hand and his head was across the line and his hand was back here. And then the Jeff Triplett, the referee, turns on the mic. Upon further review, it is a touchdown, New York Jets. And I, off the top of my head, I barked, my God, they gave him the touchdown. <laughs> That wound up that wound up on NFL Films, which really shocked me because NFL Films is a subsidiary of Park Avenue in the NFL League office, and yeah. they, they put that in there. And so those guys in Seattle today brought that up. Just they flashed and remembered that. So, uh, hey, we live and die with the team. It, and I'll close out with this: the worst part about doing games, being the voice of a team is when you're losing because it's just really hard. Yeah. If you're bad and you don't have any hope, oh, it's really hard. The best part is when you get good, grab on and hold on for the ride <laughs> as witnessed by yeah. what San Diego became when Bobby Ross led this team to the playoffs and then led this team to the AFC Championship game and led this team to the Super Bowl. The journey 
is the best part. I know that Steve Young blew our doors off and threw six touchdown passes on Super Bowl Sunday, but the journey to get to the Super Bowl is something you never, ever forget, and I bet it's the same way for everybody here in the community. Hey, listen, we appreciate you being with us on our Thursday podcast. Uh, Please subscribe, tell all your friends, share the information about what we're doing, get the chance, check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. John, no rain in the forecast. Enjoy yourself out in left field. Have a great sports weekend. We'll see you Monday. We'll see you Monday, Lee. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.